Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, I'd love to ask you a question here, um, just to have a conversation as we start. What's something that you're passionate about? Doesn't have to be a big thing. Horses. I knew you were going to say that one. Yeah. And cats. Well, there's a good reason you're in church here today. That's <laughs> what else are you passionate about? I'm passionate about ice cream. I love a good ice cream. We went to uh, Rita's, Rita's Italian Ice. Got some gelato. It was fantastic. Say it again, Chris. Fishing. Fishing. What else are you passionate about? Say it again. Kids. Oh. Homeless people. Love it. That's so good. Things we're passionate about. When we think about the word passion, the word passion, typically don't we think about, like, what, what, what does it mean to be passionate about something? Strong feelings. What else? Something you enjoy. Time and energy into it. That's good. Come again, Ted? Focused. Anything else? Sacrificing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, when we think about passion, don't, don't we tend to think about enthusiasm? Something you're really excited about? But it's really interesting, and Ashley, you were there. I mean, these, these ancient writers, when they would use the word passion, it actually had a more powerful and a more nuanced meaning than that. The word passion for them meant to suffer for something. To suffer for something. So, if I'm passionate for a healthy lifestyle, it means that when it's raining and 30 degrees outside, I'm going to get up and I'm going to run. Now, the reality is I'm just not that passionate about running. <laughs> Some people are. I'm, I'm just not. Or if you're passionate about horses and horseback riding, you're going to shape your calendar around your desire to be about that thing. If you're passionate for a hobby, you're going to say, I'm going to spend money on this thing, and maybe it means I'm not going to spend money on something else. If you're passionate about your job, it means that you're going to sacrifice maybe some other area of your life so that you can put everything into your job at that moment. When you're passionate about something, you're willing to suffer for it. The only reason that you sit out in front like in an open field in October when it's 38 degrees outside and the wind is howling across is because your kid is playing soccer. So you're willing to show up early, stay late, and cut the orange slices because it's your kid, and you're passionate about your kids, and so you're willing to suffer for them. We suffer for that thing that we're passionate about. That's why the movie was called The Passion of Christ, because it was the suffering of Christ. So let me ask you another time, maybe just think about this internally. What are you passionate about? What are you willing to suffer for? Truth be told, most of us are probably willing to suffer for a lot of things in our lives. When I was a freshman in college, my freshman fall semester, I met Jennifer. Now, as a freshman, um, going into a guy's dorm, Beta One North, you know, you're excited to get in there and kind of live life away from your parents and play video games and stay up late and eat popcorn and, 
eat Domino's pizza, then use the restroom, because that's always the course of action that happens when you have Domino's pizza, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so that's what life looked like as a freshman in the dorm. But then I had this amazing conversation with this beautiful girl, Jennifer. And that night I said, hey, do you want to come to my parents' house? You can meet my parents. I, I introduced her to my parents the very first night, right? And then every single weekend after that, we would spend time together. Now, all of my dorm mates, all the guys on my dorm, they're ready to, to play Unreal Tournament on the local area network gameplay. That was the only way. There was no multiplayer if you weren't on a local area network, right? So we would get together. We would play Final Fantasy. We would play Unreal Tournament. And while they were doing those kinds of things, I was having to say, that sounds neat, guys, but actually I'm gonna go hang out with Jennifer. And you know what they said to me? They said, you're whipped, Avi. You are whipped, man. She has you in her back pocket. And I said, I don't care, man. I found my soulmate. You know, like this is the person that I meant to be with at that point in time. Now, my, my friends, you know, they, they, they wanted to find their own soulmate as well, but they were like, I, I, I want to play the video game. Like, I want to eat the Domino's pizza. I'm ready to stay up late. But for me, I was willing to say no to that kind of thing because I wanted to say yes. I was willing to stay away from that thing, maybe even sacrifice that freshman college thing because I had found something so much greater and so much better. If you're gonna follow something, to be passionate for it, it means that you're gonna sacrifice for it. Jesus says that God's kingdom is just like that. It's like a treasure that's, that's hidden in a field and when you find out it's there, you sell everything to go get that treasure and one that's now in your life, man, you're willing to sacrifice anything for you and it, and it changes you on the inside. We're in a series, we're finishing up our summer series called Citizens on the Beatitudes. These eight statements from Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. And we're just asking a really, really simple question, right? When we look at these eight statements, we ask the question, do I have that characteristic? Is that trait true about me? This weekend, we're going to look at the last one, and it's about persecution. Sounds fun, huh? Are you glad you came to church this weekend? We're gonna talk about persecution. This is how Jesus said it in Matthew 5, Verses 10 through 11. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He started out the whole thing saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he finishes it saying, Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This kind of beautiful bookend to what he's talking about. And he pulls it back around. And he would say, Happy, fortunate, congratulate, this person has figured it out, the person who has been persecuted because of me. To be persecuted, it's this word and it means to move against someone, to harass them because of something that they believe. And I think as we hear Jesus say that, it probably strikes us the same way that it would have affected his disciples who heard him talk. What do you mean? it's blessed to be persecuted. That sounds horrible. That sounds terrible. I mean, are you saying that it's a good thing if people think bad things about me? Because I don't want anyone to think bad things about me. 
Are you telling me it's a, a good thing if people say things against me or treat me? I don't want that. That sounds horrible. Why would anybody sign up for that? Because in truth, they were coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want you to come and I want you to come into my life and I want you, Messiah, to fix some of my problems. See, we have these Romans. This is a really junky situation going on right now and there's these Pharisees and they oppress. Jesus, will you come in? Will you just fix that stuff? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm gonna come into your life. But what you want from me is you want your final fanta- your, your, your fantasy football league to, to do well. You, you want to get the promotion in life. And you know what? If you follow me, that stuff might happen. That might happen. It might get better for you. But if you choose to follow me, you need to know that some other things are probably going to come along with that as well. Because I'm not going to come into your life and just sprinkle some nice stuff on top. I'm not just about modifying a few things on the outside. Jesus would say that I'm here to give you a new identity. You're looking to just sprinkle a little bit of religion on your life. You're here, you want me just to fix your problems. But, but I'm coming in that I'm going to change your heart because it's not just a matter of tweaking the outsides. There's something going on in your heart that needs to be changed. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a new heart. And so when that's true, when you've been given a new heart, when you have new marching orders and you're operating the way that I've asked you to operate, that you're poor in spirit and you're mourning over your sin and all of these things are true about your life, when you actually activate that in your life and it's not just, okay, that's a nice idea, but I'm going to live by that, it's going to mean some things for you. It's going to mean that when people see the way that you operate and the way that you talk, that your value system is so far different than theirs. And they may not always appreciate it. It means that you're going to be persecuted. And if I'm honest, I really don't like that. <laughs> like I look at that and I say, Jesus, why did you put this in here? This is not how you sell the program, Jesus. Like if Jesus was gonna sell the program, he would say, hey, this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. You know what, you're gonna follow me, everything's gonna go great for you, your kids' teeth are gonna be straight, your, your spouse is gonna think you're hot, like you're gonna get promoted, things are gonna be fantastic for you. And Jesus doesn't do that. He says there's this thing called persecution. And expect it. Because your identity is changed. So in my freshman year, I I went from being Scott the drummer to Scott the boyfriend of Jennifer. I went went from Scott the Beta One North, play video games, to Scott I found my soulmate. It changed my identity. When we decide to follow Jesus like that, it's this change in identity that leads to a change in priorities. And we're at odds then with what the world wants and demands from us. It will look so different. So when you live your life in submission to Jesus, when, when you let him guide you and direct you, when it comes to that, when it comes to this, it's not popular and you're persecuted, Jesus would look at that and say, that is, is stinking awesome that you got persecuted. That's actually really, really good. He would say that that you're blessed because of it. That you're you're following me has so changed your life 
that you're willing to suffer for it because it's something that you're passionate about, you didn't just take, take some of this and like sprinkle some of it on top. This isn't a, lo- a little bit of modification. This is something that hit your heart and changed you. You know, if I, if I were to meet Jennifer and I were to say, you know what, she's awesome and she's beautiful. We had this great connection. I really could see like our, our lives kind of coming together. Uh, we're really compatible. If I said all of that is true, but it doesn't change my behavior and it doesn't change my allegiances. If I say that's great, but you know what? I think I'm gonna play Final Fantasy all the time and I'm really never gonna be around her and I'm not gonna really change the way that I act. I imagine that her friends would probably be warning her about me at that point in time. Like, like he's, he's doing what instead of hanging out with you? For the, for the fourth weekend in a row? They'd probably not be real keen on me being in her life. So if we said, you know what, I like Jesus, it's cool and everything, you know, like I, I think I, I like some of his, his teachings, I feel a good connection. I actually think my worldview can like incorporate some of his principles and, and kind of compatible, you know, with being kind to other people, but it doesn't affect my allegiances at all. I think Jesus would look at that and say, man, I wonder if you really understand my heart. I wonder if you really get God's kingdom. I, I wonder if this is not just some sort of false religion. A life of following Jesus will put you at odds with the world around you. He calls that persecution. And the big thing that we need to leave this whole conversation understanding is that when Jesus steps in, he says persecution like that is actually a good thing. We look at it and say, that's horrible. That's terrible. Jesus would say, you're blessed. You're blessed when that's true about you because it's gonna help you identify with who Christ is. There's a reward for you on the other side of this. So Jesus sits with these disciples and he says, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus. Blessed are you when you mourn. Oh, yeah, okay. Blessed are you when you're meek. I need to be meek. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Say what? I imagine that they would probably lean in and ask some questions that you and I wanna ask too. Jesus, what do you mean when you say the word persecuted? Like what, what counts? Which is so good, why he immediately goes on in the next verse to describe exactly what he means by that, right? Let's look at the next, ver- next verse, verse 11. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of of evil against you because of me. He goes on, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's what Jesus goes on to define. He says persecution, this is what it's gonna mean. It's gonna mean three, at least three different kinds. I'm sure you can think of some other ones, but let's just hit three for right now. It's gonna mean that there's gonna be some sort of physical persecution or restriction of your freedoms. That it can include that. This is probably what we think of, right? When you think about people in faraway countries and there's physical harm, they're beaten, um, they're arrested, they're put in jail. These are our brothers and sisters like you and like me that are trying to follow after Jesus and they are imprisoned because of their belief. Their children are taken from them, their spouses are taken from them. It's this horrific stuff. And I the reality is, is, is that this isn't something that just happened hundreds of years ago. This is something that currently happens even today. 
an organization called Open Doors. This is some quick statistics that I think is helpful for us to think with compassion about people who operate in this sort of situation. They report that over 340 million Christians are living in, ex- in places where they would experience high levels of persecution. 4,700 Christians were killed for their faith last year alone. uh, 4,400 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked or destroyed. 4,200 believers were detained without trial where they were arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And they go on to talk about, um, they have a whole list of like countries that are kind of the worst in this sort of quotient for religious freedom. And they go on to talk about the top five are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan absolutely wonderful, wonderful book called The Insanity of God. It's a missionary um, that was in Somalia helping people in the 90s when there was just unbelievable amounts of heartache, disease, famine, all of that kind of stuff. And his heart was pricked and hardened and so he then went around the world after that seeking out to understand suffering Seeking out, trying to understand persecution and people that went through this. And so he would go to places like China, and in China, they would say that your seminary degree, what qualifies you to lead a house church, an underground church, is when you've spent three years in jail. That's how they qualified themselves. That's how you know that that person is committed, and they're not going to turn you in. Because they can say, I spent three years in jail. He went to churches in the Ukraine, underground churches, and who for decades and decades had been oppressed by the communists and asked them about their experience uh, with persecution. I mean, honestly, this is one of the few books, and I realize this may not be a, may not, may not activate it in, in your heart. Um, this is one of the few books that I've read and just wept over. And I was going to read a long segment, but I decided to read a shorter segment of it. It's so good, so good. This is what he talks about as he's interviewing these Ukrainian Christians. He says, One morning, Victor arranged for me to meet with a group of his friends, several Russian pastors, evangelists, some church planners, some elders, a cross-section of his church. I listened in wonders at, and wonder as these believers almost casually recounted, uh, recounted uh, being sent to prison for five years, three years, seven years, being beaten, forced to sleep naked in a cold, damp cell or having nothing but moldy bread and boiled cabbage to eat for months. These same men shared joyful memories of the time when my wife and son visited me in prison. When I was placed in a cell with another believer who would encourage me as I encouraged him and how the church cared for the needs of my family while I was in prison. When we stopped to eat lunch, I gently scolded the group saying, your stories are amazing. Why haven't they been written down? Your stories look like Bible stories come to life. I can't believe you haven't collected them in a book or recorded them in some sort of video. Other followers of Jesus around the world could hear about these stories and be encouraged about what God is doing here. They seemed confused about what I was saying. Clearly they weren't understanding, we weren't understanding each other. Then one of the older pastors stood in motion for me to follow him and he led me to a large window in the front room of the home. As we stood together in the window, the old gentleman speaking passable but heavily accented English said to me, I understand you have some sons, Nick. Is this true? I told him yes. Tell me, Nick, how many times have you awakened your sons before dawn and brought them to a window like this one, one that faces east and said to them, boys, watch carefully. This morning you're gonna see the sun coming up in the east. 
It's going to happen in a few more minutes. Get ready now, boys. How many times have you done that with your son? He asked. Well, I chuckled. I've never done that. If I ever did that, my boys would think I was crazy. The sun always comes up in the east. It happens every morning. The old man nodded and smiled. Nick, that's why I haven't made any books or movies out of these stories that you've been hearing. For us, persecution is like the sun coming up in the east. It happens all the time. It's the way things are. There's nothing unusual or unexpected about it. Persecution for our faith has always been and probably always will be a normal part of life. Now, when I hear those stories, and, and this book is just full of them, when I hear stories like that, it gives me emotions. Some of those emotions I have is like a deep appreciation and gratitude that we don't live in a situation where we have to worry like that for that kind of physical persecution to take place. And then I simultaneously have guilt. <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe we should. should I, don't, I don't know, I just feel a little guilty about that sometimes. And then, and then I have this like sense of pity. Like, oh man, I, I feel sorry that they have to live in that kind of situation. I wonder if Jesus would look at them and have pity on them. But I also think that there's an emotion that we have as Westerners, and that's this, that we feel safe from something like that. Like that is something that happens over there to those kinds of people with that color of skin from that kind of political situation. After all, we're in America and stuff like that doesn't happen to us. Which is why I think it's so helpful that Jesus defines what he means by persecution when he says this. He says, blessed are you when people insult you. When you're persecuted, when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And Jesus is saying, look, persecution is going to show up in all sorts of forms. And there are going to be those times where it shows up in that physical kind of oppressive way. But he also says it's going to show up in verbal ways. Slander, insults, verbal assault that you might experience. In fact, Jesus would say that, that, that you might experience that first. That they're going to start saying untrue things about you because of me. Probably one of the few times I've been persecuted has been when I was in in college and I worked as a house drummer at a local theater. And um, I was from the local Christian college, but they would bring players from all over the place. And the guy that was the music director was young and he was, I just got out of, I don't know what school it was, but he came through and, and, and he used a term derogatorily when he didn't like something. He would say, that's so Christian. That's so Christian. And, and, I, and that was the only time I ever had to experience this kind of derogatory term. So while we tend to think that persecution is over there, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that the kind of persecution that Jesus includes here is something that can and probably will be experienced by those who follow Christ and are diverted devoted to him and because those things are true because it's still very possible that people even in free spaces and free nations can experience that kind of legit persecution because that's true it can go on to mean this that we can also experience prejudicial treatment and opportunities lost so those are promotions that you may not get because you're saying you know what I'm not going to manipulate and I'm not going to brown nose and so all of a sudden you're not able to climb the ladder the way that you could if you didn't follow after Jesus when you, when you lose out from being the captain of the team because you're going to say, I'm not going to miss out on youth group every uh, Wednesday night. And, and so you miss out on that. 
When, when the girls don't ask you out for a ladies' night out because you just don't get drunk the way that you used to, you don't party like you used to after you found Jesus, and so now they keep leaving you out of stuff. When you get called an idiot at the lab because you believe that someone intelligent designed this horseshoe that you're working on right now, that's persecution. When you don't get elected for the HOA board because you don't fly the pride flag because that's against what God has called the New Testament God-honoring marriage. Those are all persecution. And now, listen, listen. We're not gonna sit around and complain about the persecution that we go through because frankly, compared to many Christians in other nations, it would just be embarrassing, right? But there's also this danger in thinking that persecution only happens over there because it's not recognizing the situation that we actually live in and we're tempted to think that Jesus, on this one, I get a pass because we live in a certain kind of country. We can and we do and we should and we will be persecuted in the U.S. And the darker things get culturally, the more the church shines brightly, the more we should expect that to happen. Jesus says, hey, when, whenever, whenever you get persecuted because of me, it's actually a good thing Great is your reward in heaven. But I think we need to pause for just a moment and differentiate between biblical persecution and non-biblical persecution. And to do that, what I want to do is I want to take a look. I want to take a look in First Peter four. Uh, Peter, who watched Jesus, who was in ministry with Jesus, goes on to talk about. And Peter, who went on to be crucified, just like Jesus did, upside down. He talks a lot about what it means to suffer. This is what he has to say in 1 Peter 4, verse 12 through 16, which, by the way, I put all of these passages in the app, so if you want to follow along, it's there. Uh, 1 Peter 4, it says, dear, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, as Westerners, when any amount of suffering or discomfort happens to us, we tend to think, this shouldn't happen. What is ha this is strange. P Peter says, don't, don't do that. You need to expect it. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, then he goes on to say, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or as a meddler. However, if you suffer for, as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I think there's a critical distinction between being persecuted for Jesus' name and following after him and being persecuted because of your own sin and stupidity. Right? Don't be persecuted because you're obstinate, because you're difficult, or because you're a jerk to other people. That's not persecution, that's consequences. Right? That's just you being a jerk. It doesn't say, blessed are those people who are being objectionable. It doesn't say, blessed are those people who are seriously lacking in wisdom. You are not being persecuted when you go out of your way to be obstinate to the police and you're belligerent about it. 
You're not being persecuted when you're getting beanbagged for storming the Capitol building. That's not what's happening when it's there for a political agenda. That's something, but it's not persecution. You aren't being persecuted when you break the law and get caught for it. That's not persecution. That's just your own sinfulness and stupidity many times. So we need to be intentional about understanding what persecution is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote this, by the way, in 1959, this is what he says. If you choose to suffer politically, go on and do so, but do not have a grudge against God if you find this beatitude, this promise is not verified in your life. The beatitude and the promise refer specifically to suffering for righteousness' sake. May God give us grace and wisdom and understanding to discriminate between our political prejudices and our spiritual principles. Persecution, biblically speaking, is those negative consequences, as Jesus said, because of me, because of righteousness. I think this is what Peter was after, what Jesus and the rest of the New Testament was after, and that we have to discover in life is this reality that we're going to be, we're gonna suffer when we do right, and we're also gonna suffer when we do wrong. You're gonna suffer for doing the right thing, and you're gonna suffer for doing the wrong thing, but you can only be happy on one side of that equation and not on the other side of that equation. You can be happy when you're persecuted for doing the right thing because you can have peace with yourself and you can have peace with God. But if you suffer for doing the wrong thing, you don't have peace with you, you don't have peace with God. Jesus draws that out into like a broader context. Think about it. You're gonna be persecuted. You're gonna be mistreated. You don't wanna be persecuted for doing the wrong stuff. You wanna be persecuted for doing the right kind of things. Jesus would say, happy are those who choose to pursue righteousness and pursue Jesus, even when it costs them because they found something so much better. Peter would say this, he would say that when that happens, that we are participating with the sufferings of Christ. We're identifying with him, that we become partakers in his divine nature. I think that what makes Jesus so impressed by someone who is willing to be persecuted for him is the level of faith that it actually takes. No stretch of the imagination was I ever persecuted in college for finding my soulmate. But there was that belief Here's this relationship for me, and I don't know if it's gonna pan out. I don't know what the future is gonna hold. I can't prove it. But I've tasted something, and I've experienced something, and I believe that what's on the other side of this relationship, my relationship with Jennifer, is way more important than what's on the other side of the relationship with those guys on my dorm hall. And it takes faith to process through that. Because when you're, when you're in the middle of something challenging and you're suffering, you're having to look at that and you're having to say, I'm getting passed over for the promotion again. It's not turning out the way that I want. 
I believe that there's something better on the other side of this. I'm gonna choose to believe in what God said is true. I think about the Harrisons who are trying to go over. I don't want to go to Turkey. I wouldn't want to go to Turkey. I look at what they're doing. They have to say, there's something better on the other side of this because they have faith in what God is going to do. In Hebrews 11, there's a chapter that's called the Hall of Faith where the author of Hebrews goes through and he, and he talks about all of these significant characters in the Old Testament and says these are models of what faith like that looks like. This is what he says, and then we're gonna kind of wrap it up together, and then we're gonna spend the rest of our time just in worship, but this is what he says. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse four, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings and by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Abel and Cain were the first brothers and there was the first murder Cain's sacrifice was seen as acceptable, excuse me, Abel's sacrifice was seen as acceptable, Cain's wasn't. Because of that, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that as Abel was being bludgeoned to death, do you think that he sat there and said, this turned out well? No. I, I don't think he did. And yet, how many times in our lives do we go through suffering good? Do we go through something? Do we want to just say, God, if you're in this, it's going to turn out well. I'm going to get this degree, and then I'm going to get this job, and then I'm going to go down this path. I'm going to marry this person, and it's going to look out like, like this. God, if I'm going to follow you, then it's going to turn out well in the end. And if it doesn't turn out well, you're not in it. Jesus says, when you suffer for me, you might be in it, and you may not see the end. But when you suffer for me and when you believe in faith, happy are you. You will be blessed. That passage in Hebrews goes on. It talks about Noah. He talks about Abraham. And this is what he says in verse 13. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Now listen, listen carefully. They did not receive the thing promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers in this earth. All of them were promised something from God, and they never got to taste it. Then listen to what he says, verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They would say there's a reward for those people who go through the difficulties, including persecution and suffering, because they're passionate for Jesus, because their identity has been changed. They're living out kingdom principles. They choose to operate by faith. He would say there's a place that God has prepared for those who believe in them, for those that would believe no matter what and when it's not easy, something beyond this life, can they see it? Nope. 
Can they prove that it's there? Nope. Can we prove the promises of God that we say we believe as a church? No, we can't. But we believe it by faith because, not because of a book, but because Jesus believed it was true. And Jesus called his shot. He said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back from the dead. I'm going to raise myself. And then three days later, he did it. Bunch of people saw, they saw the holes in his hands and stuff, and he verified it. Because of that, I'm going to go with someone like that. That's why we believe what he said. And it says, and this haunts me, this haunts me, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. It haunts me because how many things in my life do I process through and I say, that, that didn't turn out the way that it, I thought it was going to turn out. God, you must not be in this. Does God look at my life and the choices that I make and does he say, I'm proud of your faith in me. How many times do I say it's only worth going through if life is happy and I feel strong and my wife thinks I'm hot and my kids' teeth are straight and my team is winning? Am I willing to follow him no matter what? I want God to look at me and say I am proud to be called your God because you understand me and you believe in me, and you get me. There is a reward for those people who are like that. Now, if, if you're not a Christ follower, you get a pass from this one. But for those who claim to be citizens of the kingdom, I wonder if God would look down at us and would he say, I am proud of you. Do you live in such a way that you would say, I don't care about the consequences. I'm going to follow after God no matter what. Even if I never taste it, even if I don't see it, I'm going to keep being kind to my spouse that's never kind with me. Even if you'll never see the reward of it, that you're going to say, I'm going to keep giving financially for the kingdom of God. even if you'll never taste the other side of it, will we continue to walk in faith? Even if it doesn't turn out the way we wanted it to. So if God were to look at your life and say, I see the way that they plot their course, would he say he's proud to be your God? Here's what I want to do. I want to pray together, and then we're going to worship together. So let's, let's just pray, and I'm just going to hit a couple prayer points here with all of our eyes closed and our heads bowed. This heavy stuff. <laughs> uh, 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 Jesus, I just, I, I wish you hadn't written this. I, I wish it was different, but you promise us that there's a blessedness when we're willing to do the hard for the sake of the eternal. When we're willing to press past the difficulty to be found in you and to find you and delight in you. Be, to be defined by our passion for your kingdom. 
You say there's a blessing there. And I, I think of all of those believers across the globe that would love to have all that we have. They don't have a portion of it, and yet they are decidedly Christian, unashamedly following after you. I pray for them, God. I pray that they would be bold before you, that they would stand under. God, that they would persevere, that you would sustain them. God, I pray for those even in this room that might be in a situation with family members, with coworkers, with their children, and they are facing that kind of insult for following you or prejudicial treatment for following you. God, I pray that they would stand boldly. God, that you would empower them in the big things and the small things. God, I pray that we would live and that we would embody these marks of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That we would stand out and be worthy to suffer for Jesus' name. Not because we've done something stupid or silly, but because of Christ. God, give us that kind of boldness in Jesus' name. Empower us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.